well, I never worked when I got home. I was like, I got up in the morning and worked before I went to work. And then they couldn't, I already juiced it and they couldn't take it from me. to our conversation with author Austin Cleon. This is part two of a two-part series, so if you missed the first one, go back and give that a listen. In this episode, Austin and I discuss cultivating passions, being a multi-hyphenate, and the most common misconception about his book, Steal Like an Artist. Enjoy. Well, you had mentioned earlier that book sales are great, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. unpredictable, so that you would like now, uh, now that maybe... Uh, you're thinking about like the merch or public speaking. So I'd like to kind of circle back on that a little bit. Do you have any merch that you're working on that's going to be coming out? Yeah, we're trying really hard to put together a um, a good online store um, before the holiday season this year. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean my wife and I. Um, the Honestly, from when I started, I mean, the technology now is so good that like you can basically have an online store and then have like a whole service that does fulfillment. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things you can do now uh, with merch that you sort of couldn't do 10 years ago even. So, um, but again, we make concentrated decisions around here about what kind of money, we're very Thorovian in that we sort of, believe that every industry requires costs you, you know, it doesn't just make you money. It also costs you something. Mm -hmm. And so we always weigh, you know, what's it going to cost us to run a merch business? You know, what's it going to cost us in human effort and energy? And so we've just been kind of dragging our feet about it, but it is, that's going to happen. And then, um, I, uh, my two two of my big heroes uh, are Linda Berry, uh, the cartoonist, and um, Edward Tufty, who I've gotten to be friends with. And um, they do really they do these wonderful day long workshops. And I would really like to start doing that. I mm-hmm. think like it would be really fun to kind of blow into town and rent a room or a hilton ballroom i don't know ed always gets like he gets these big like he rents the hilton ballroom and like brings in all this equipment and has his roadies and like puts on a show and you know 500 people show up that's kind of the he's he's sort of like it's interesting he tours like the grateful dead it's kind of amazing like he he is honestly one of the most underrated um i think people he is one of the most interesting figures to me because he's sort of this legend of self-publishing. Um, and he tours in a way that's incredibly lucrative, but also super indie. It's sort of like get in the van and go. Um, and I really, I don't know if you're super familiar with his work, but no, I'm not. Um, I'm gonna look uh, him up. He's, uh, he's sort of like, and he's sort of, uh, uh, in the information design world, he's, he's sort of the man. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's just has this really interesting model and I've gotten to, whenever he comes to Austin, sometimes I get to have lunch with him and he's just a nice guy. Um, 
but very interesting. And he's also, when he put out his first book, he had had this sort of 30 year career as a, uh, I think he taught statistics at Yale. And then he put out this book called the, um, the visual display of quantitative information and it sold like 2 million copies by now. And I think he took out a second mortgage on his house to produce it. Mm. So he's one of the like most successful self publishing stories of all time. And he tours like the grateful dead and, <laughs> and he's just like the super interesting guy. But I always look at people like that and I'm really, I'm, I'm inspired by, by them, by how they sort of, you know, Linda's the same way. Like she'll, she'll do a workshop at a, you know, with people and sort of just blow their minds and change their lives. And I, so I would kind of like to start teaching in some sort of format. Um, I don't know that I really want to teach at a school, but, um, I, I like that kind of workshop model. So yeah, I've got stuff down the pipe, but I also really like sitting around and making up books, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, we'll see, we'll see what comes up. Are, are you uh, an introvert, an extrovert? Like when I think about you teaching four or 500 people in a ballroom yeah. kind of touring, I'm a weird guy in that I'm probably one of the few super extroverted writer writers who loves to read. I mean, I get super jacked up when I go speak. It doesn't really take a lot out of me. It's very easy for me to get on stage. Wow. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, I sort of... I really wanted to be a musician when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I've always wanted to be on stage. So for me, getting up on stage in front of people, is, it takes nothing out of me. It gives me everything. And so I love it. Um, it just doesn't lead to a life that's very conducive to what I want to spend my time doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I love... I love being on book tour. Like it's, it's actually, I love meeting readers. I love traveling. I love taking walks around new cities. I love meeting interesting people, but I also really love sitting in my office and making stuff up, you know? So it's that the tension between those things is, is interesting, but I'm probably not, it's hard for me to make books because making books is a very introverted activity. You sort of have to sit alone in a room and write. Um, but selling books is very extroverted and that is really easy for me. So <laughs> you are an interesting combination of a lot of different things. And if I'm getting anything from this right now, just to help my audience understand it is I think in a way you're very natural in that there's things that you know you like and you just lean into them and you don't worry too much about the business stuff. You write in your book like artists collect and you're very specific about what you collect and you collect things and you yeah. worked in a library and you like poetry and you're a poet and you, you, you can see you conceptually align with the way musicians work. So you're on stage and you, you draw and you make visual things with your hands and you've done really well in that regard. There's a there's a book um, out right now called range by, mm -hmm. uh, David Epstein. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's a nice guy. I met him at Dan Pink's house. He's a really, he's in that book is great. But, um, what he describes in that, that book is basically validation from the whole way I've, I, one of the reasons I really like that book is it completely validates all of my life choices. I mean, it's a book about, you know, letting the full, letting all your weird interests sort of talk to each other and going down meandering paths and 
sort of letting, you know, yourself be pulled in different directions. I mean, I, I, I have to be honest when I was growing up, I wanted to be someone like Shel Silverstein. Mm -hmm. Like I remember reading the back of his biography there's, I think it's where the sidewalk ends and he's got like a guitar and he's got that crazy shaved head mm -hmm. and you have no idea. Like he just seemed like an alien to me. Like I couldn't tell, like couldn't tell what race or nationality <laughs> or like what he was. I was just like, who is this person? And his bio was, um, his bio was something like, you know, Shel Silverstein writes like, he writes children's books and songs and plays music and has a good time or something like that. And I was just like, that's who I want to be. <laughs> like I was very, um, it's not a very, it's people use the term polymath now, which I can't stand that term, but, or multi, I forget what they call it. Uh, oh my God. There's so many bad names for it. But like when I was growing up, it was called, it was a Renaissance man. Mm -hmm. Like you wanted to, it was, it's gendered, but like you're like a Renaissance person. You mm -hmm. liked a lot of different things. And I was just like sort of who I just grew up that way. I didn't want to pick something. I wanted to do everything. And um, that can be very tricky uh, um, career wise. But the people I always admired were, were those people, those those multi hyphenate people, as they like to say now, <laughs> multi multi hyphenate people, uh, actor, model slash yeah. cook. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, I, you know, I, I really liked that. Those are the kinds of people that I really looked up to when I was mm -hmm. growing up, and and I had a really. There's, I have a wonderful mentor. I mean, I don't. He might bristle at me calling him that, but there's a guy named Stephen Tomlinson here in Austin. And he's just a wonderful guy, and and. You know, I heard him on stage one time tell this story about how he went to his uh, advisor, this guy named Will Spong, and uh, he said to him, okay, he's like, so I, I love business, I love economics, and I love the theater, and I love God. Which one should I pick? And Will Spong looked at him and said, that is the dumbest question anyone has ever asked me. <laughs> he said, he said, if you have three passions and they're passions, like you can't live without them. He's like, you keep them in your life. You spend a little time on them each every week. And eventually they start talking to each other. And he was like, you might not come out with a career on the other end, but what you will come up with is a life. And I heard Steven say that on stage and it like changed my life. I just thought this is, this is me. He mm -hmm. just described me like, and I write about that and still like an artist, um, you know, if you have three passions in your, if you have passions in your life and you try to cut them out because you think you should spend time on this other thing that you, is really important to you, you will have phantom limb pain. Like that will bug you forever. Like if you try to just cut something out of your life that you really love, it just, it'll just haunt you like a phantom limb. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I really believe that. And I find that my life is maybe not as lucrative, but, um, it's much richer and deeper and it leads to more interesting things when I honor the things I'm interested in and the things that I really love. And 
somebody who helps me with that is my, um, my sons are very multi interested, you know, like my oldest son, Owen loves to write and he loves to draw and he loves to play music. So we get together and, you know, it's, he keeps me interested in music. Like it's very easy for me to kind of drop my interest in music because there's literally nothing that I do with music that I can, you know, leverage into some sort of money or career thing. It's, it's purely a passion hobby thing. But as anyone who has a really good hobby knows, it's often when Owen and I are playing music together that I get really good ideas for stuff that does sort of like help my work along, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, and I think that's why, um, you know, I think a lot of when I get up on stage and speak to people, you know, I think there's a lot of people who, you know, they wanted a life of poetry or music or writing or whatever, but they just, you know, they went down another path. And I think my point is always like, just, it's always there for you. It's like, it's, it's always there for you. All you have to do is go get a notebook and a pen and you can start writing tomorrow. You spend 15 minutes on your lunch break and do it every day for a year and you're a writer. You know, it's, um, that's, it's a very simple message that I, want people to know Mm. very interesting because this idea of following multiple passions and living a richer life actually goes against a lot of the conventional wisdom which is specialization sure yeah so somebody's listening to this right now they're like oh my god Mm -hmm. austin you're speaking to me right now you've like peered inside my soul because a lot of creative people are like this they they like to, to do x y and z and picking one lane freaks them out so if I'm listening to this and I'm that person, can, yeah. you, can you give me a little bit of advice on, on how I could potentially hold these passions and then develop a career out of it possibly? Just Question mark. T- well, I can't, I can't speak to the career, okay. but um, I, I think what Will Spong told uh, Stephen Tomlinson, which mm-hmm. is find a way to spend an hour on it a week. You know, it's just start there. You know, like if you miss your ballet go practice ballet for an hour every week. Just find the time, you know, skip an episode of The Good Place or whatever you're watching and, you know, um, try to spend, I think it's just time management, you know, it's just like just making the time to have a couple of these things in your life and, you know, uh, uh, you might have to get up earlier in the morning, Mm -hmm. you know, I, there's been a lot of books written by people with day jobs from the hours of four to 5 a.m. <laughs> right, you know? right. And it's, it's funny because a lot of people come to me and they're like, God, I'm just so tired when I get home. How do you? And I'm like, well, I never worked when I got home. I was like, I got up in the morning and worked before I went to work. And then right. they couldn't, I already juiced it and they couldn't take it from me. Mm-hmm. And usually when I talk to bosses, I say, you know, you know, you want, honestly, you want people coming in who've already done their passion because then they can come to work and focus and they're already like, they're all lubed up. Like they're ready to go, you know, they're revved (laughs) up and you know, they can kind of, you know, they've got their engines going. So I don't know. I mean, like I, it's, this stuff isn't easy. Mm -hmm. Like everyone wants an E, but, um, for me, it's just like, look, if you love music, like just, just, you know, just spend an hour, spend 15 minutes a day practicing your instrument, you know, just, just 15 minutes. Just, it doesn't have to be that often, you know, Mm -hmm. just fill one sketchbook page a day, 
just start in these little incremental, you know, ways. And that's how you get started. How, how do you know it's, how do you know it's like not an infatuation and a, and a real passion? Uh, well, I mean, who cares if it is or it isn't? Okay. I mean, for me, it's kind of like, if you feel good when you're doing something and it is adding to your like life, like if it feels good, like if you love to bake, like my wife bakes sourdough bread. She's super into sourdough and she makes bread with our boys. And it is just like, and bread's easy. Cause like bread's one of those things where if you make bread and it comes out of the oven, everybody wants a piece and you are like a God, mm -hmm. you know I mean? When someone bakes a loaf of bread and I mean, I don't know any creative work that's more satisfying than cooking, than making a, making something for the people you love and then like comes out of the oven and you feed them with it. Like to me, that's like, that to me is the, that is the epitome of creative work. Like that just, to me, like being able to cook a meal is, is like painting a masterpiece in my opinion. Um, and people are always like, what cooking? And I'm like, yes, that's like, you're taking, cause my basic definition of creativity is you take what's in front of you and everyone else and you turn it into something new. Mm -hmm. And that's what cooking is. You take these ingredients that are there and they're sort of in their raw state and you throw them together and pretty soon you've got something that'll feed everybody. But for me, it's just like, if you run her sourdough baking through some sort of side hustle calculator it doesn't pay off because she spends enough time on the bread that by the time if you calculated her time it'd be cheaper to buy a loaf right so you can't put like an economic value on the bread that she's making or the time that she's putting into it what it does is it makes our life better around here it makes her life better do you get what i'm saying totally like, and, so and that's like People need that kind mm -hmm. of stuff in their life. Like, I think fewer, I mean, I've thought to me personally, like my friend Wendy McNaughton illustrated this book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat um, mm -hmm. by, by, and, and uh, it's become this very popular Netflix uh, show. And I've just been thinking personally for me, instead of like, <laughs> instead of like learning how to screen print or something, I'm like, you know, I should really just learn how to cook because you know, granted, if I live another 40 years, which hopefully I do, that will benefit me way more than learning how to screen print right now. <laughs> you know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just think about stuff like that all the time. But um, I, I don't know. I just think I believe deeply in hobbies. I believe in keeping creative hobbies that do nothing for you financially or economically. They only feed you spiritually um, and that's why I sort of like bristle at side hustle stuff just mm -hmm. because I think like there's definitely a place for side hustles and I don't begrudge anyone in this economy for trying to make extra money. But, um, there is a cost when you turn your hobbies into your breadwinning. And I just think a lot of people that I meet, um, it's not that they need to, you know, I, I think a lot of people I meet are more, it's more of a spiritual thing that they need the creative work back in their life. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. they need something that really feeds them because they get home from work and they're exhausted and they've been on the internet all day and that rots your mind. 
and uh, and you know it's like people need to make stuff with their hands they need the magic of making something appear where there wasn't anything before you know like putting your hands on the keys and Bach comes out like it's a magic thing and it sounds real hippy dippy but like it's not <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it is but it's good it is know? good yeah, so it makes perfect sense to me just to quickly recap, because I do want to talk about one more thing before I lose you here, which is you talked about how can you do this thing? So if you have a passion, steal back an hour. Don't wait to the end of the day because you, you may have just have no no gas left in the tank. So do make it your priority. Wake up a little earlier. It's not going to be easy, but if you want it, you will do it and and do it just because it feels good. And you can't always put a price tag on something that you feel and don't worry too much about that because maybe it'll work out for you. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey there, folks. Ben Burns here. If there's one thing that I've learned here at The Future is that you guys, this community of creatives, you are insanely talented. You guys help keep us in motion and we love your support. If you want to keep hearing content like this, consider investing in one of our courses, toolkits, and coaching sessions. Now, if you are looking to set yourself apart as a designer, I highly recommend learning typography. Why? It is the foundation of how we all communicate, and design can speak volumes. Our typography course is easily one of the most impactful things that we have made, and Chris created it with everything he learned from his time at Art Center College of Design. So it's chock full of amazing insight. You're going to learn the basics of type, how to work with grids, layout, and application as you follow Chris throughout this course. Head to academy.thefuture.com to enroll and start using type like a pro. Welcome back to our talk with Austin Cleon. Okay, switching gears here, you, you mentioned this right at the beginning, and it's also one of the reasons why I think I'm talking to you right now, is you said sometimes the internet can can bum you out, and there's some dark stuff out there. And I, I think I began a dialogue with you on Instagram because I was talking about this idea that there's nothing that's original, it's okay to steal. I mentioned you were talking, and the the title, Steal Like an Artist, and I've heard you, you, your interview on it, so I'm not going to retread there. It is... Um, it's polarizing because I think a lot of creative people fancy themselves as original and that uh, stealing is immoral and we should not promote that. And a lot of people misinterpret this message as it's okay to do poor imitations and not give credit. So I'd love to just talk about this and it it could get a little dark and fired up here, but uh, do you mind going there with me? No, it's easy. I mean, if you read the book, it's crystal clear. Mm -hmm. I mean, like people, the problem is, is like, I think it was, I forget who said it. I think it was Lichtenberg. He's like, a book is like a mirror. If an ass looks in, an ass looks out. (laughs) So like, if you are someone who's looking for validation for your piss poor rip off artwork, 
you might come to steal like an artist and feel like it's, you know, fuel for you or, or some sort of validation, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's always that potential and like, but if you really read steal like an artist, I mean, the, the problem is that people hear the title and they forget the like an artist part, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I actually think there's a chart in the book that sums it up just as well as like any paragraph. It's mm -hmm. just good theft versus bad theft. And it sort of runs through uh, that there's sort of a code amongst thieves. Um, and so I just grabbed my copy. Cause yeah, I, I'm flipping I through. I know exactly what, you're talking what about. it what yeah. it says sometimes. I'm um, myself right now. But it's, you know, are you honoring what came before you or are you degrading it? Are you mm -hmm. studying what came before you or are you skimming the top of what everyone's interested in right now? Are you stealing from many artists or are you stealing from one artist? Are you crediting the work that came before you or are you plagiarizing? Are you transforming the work into something new or are you merely imitating someone else? Are you remixing or are you ripping off? Um, and a lot of that is, of course, in the eye of the beholder. But the real, you know, the real message of steel is not that it's, originality is something to shoot for, for sure. Like it's, it's, it's good to contribute work to the world. You want to be thought of as an original. Of course you do. Like we like think of someone like Prince, like who is Prince, but the, one of the most original artists we've had, right? Just like. He's, but, you know, you start reading about Prince and you find out how much he took from James Brown and you find out, like, you listen to some other Minneapolis bands that were around at the time. Like, there's a great, um, there's a great uh, compilation called Purple Snow um, about all this, like, rich Minneapolis music that, uh, that Prince would have heard when he was getting a sound and, like, how much he loved Joni Mitchell and, like, just all these weird influences that he had in his life and so yes like prince was completely original but he didn't become original by just being prince like he became original by completely soaking up and absorbing every single influence he could come across that really resonated with him and i think that you know what we see right now in the culture is hey so and so's a hit is having a hit, I should just borrow their style. I should just steal their style and put my own like little stink on it and 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 then I'll be famous too. And that's not really what the book is about at all. You know, the book is about something deeper. Um, so, you know, for me, the liberation of Steal Like an Artist is that it's okay to copy. Copying is how we learn. It's it's, but you have to copy, you know, in private and you have to do it in a way that you're copying a whole lot of different people that you love. And then eventually the alchemy of all those different, you know, people that you've stolen from, it leads to something new. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's really what the book is about. And people all the time are like, Oh, you must really love remix art. And like, they'll send me all these remixes and, you know, they'll send me like remix art and all this stuff. And I don't even like half that shit. Cause it's like, I mean, 90% of everything is crap is what, you know, that Sturgeon's law. And a lot of the remix stuff that I see, it's not very good. I don't like it just cause it's a remix. What I love is people like, you know, 
Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan, who, you know, you think about they're such singular, you know, people. They seem so original, right? But then you just find out that they just like, you know, Bruce Springsteen would stand on stage and like he would sing an animal song and they'd sing one of his songs and be like, it turns out it's the same song, you know, but it like ran through his mind. And Bob Dylan, I mean, my God, he just used to sit around and like just soak up all these old folk songs and civil war ballads and stuff and out came his own music, you know? So, um, I think the, for me still like an artist is about becoming a true student of everything that came before you and just trying to soak it all up and to go back and dig and get as many, influences and be as rich in your stealing as you possibly can. Perfect. Do you get people who misunderstand you and just come at you on the internet? No, I mean, it probably helps that I'm a white guy. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think that, you know, men and particularly white men on the internet just don't get the shit that a lot of other people do. I think if I was a woman, my shit would be increased probably tenfold. Mm. If I was a person of color, for sure, I just I, I think there's just no way that I am always aware of that privilege online. I also don't get as many trolls as I always think I'm going to. But, you know, I've sort of been kind of lucky with the Internet. I haven't had too many terrible experiences, but I also just don't entertain any trolling. Like, I just don't speak to people that you know, come at me and are really, if someone wants to, you know, make an intelligent case against my stuff, but I don't really entertain any, you suck loser type of <laughs> you know stuff, but I'm just a privileged guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged that way. Mm. And I'm try to be really aware of that. And I, you know, I, now that I have an audience, I do take seriously. I try to amplify voices that might, not be heard. You know, I'm not, I'm no saint. I'm not the best at it, but like I'm trying, but I have a pretty good, I, you know, the internet's been pretty good to me, but I will say that people don't have to be actively mean to you on the internet for it to ruin your life. Like I find the actual structure of Twitter, for example, to be just, um, I, I think it's fundamentally a bad technology in the end. I think it had a scale to it that once it got beyond a certain scale, I think it will never, I, w I don't think it will ever be what it used to be. I, I still find some personal value to it, but I have an extremely like sort of, you know, whittled down list of people that I follow on there. And I do read everything that people send to me and I try to respond to a lot of people there. But I think that fundamentally, and I, and I think this is the real story of social media in our time, is that these things that were supposed to connect us together are actually just manipulating us into advertising dollars. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, the big, the big story about Facebook and Twitter is mere, it's, it's just simply, it's simply how the things work is that the more engaged you are with it, the more money the company makes. So the company doesn't care whether you are looking at Nazi propaganda all, all day <laughs> or whether people are upsetting you all day as long as you're clicking because that's how they make money. And to me, that's like a fundamentally broken 
technology. Whereas things like email, which people talk about how much they hate email, but things like email and chat rooms and um, like Slack channels are really interesting right now. I know people who run like kind of quasi private Slack channels who are having a really good time with those. And plain old personal websites to me these days, I just go, I go on someone's personal website and I read what they're up to. And it's this wonderful kind of, um, they can control who's on there. Like my website doesn't even have comments, you know, cause I don't want to hear, I don't,